morning, everyone. Looks like we have a number of our brethren that are out. They are also traveling, and they're with their families for this uh, weekend. And so glad that we have our visitors who are with us and pray that as you're traveling that you have safe travels. So I was told this morning with uh, regard to the prayer requests, every week we're updating these prayer requests and these men are very explicit that they are wanting and needing our prayers. And so I, in fact, I mentioned to one of the men last Tuesday that I said, I, I decided because you guys are doing the prayer request, you're giving us permission to be public with it, with our congregation. I decided to post one of yours on Facebook. And I did not mention your full name, just your first name. Um, but it just, it traveled all over the world as a result. And he said, please let everyone know my name. I, I need all the prayers I can get and I want them. And so I'm sharing that with you because as you go outside in that rack, it's kind of hard to see. It's not easily labeled um, so you have to look for it, but in the rack in the middle bottom section are these prayer requests. So if you want to take them with you, it, it gives you word for word what you can do, how you can write to these men that we are studying with. And these are the men that we studied with on Tuesday, not the Friday or the Sunday studies or worship services that we have. So keep that in mind. Um, and as far as the prayer requests, some of you uh, with the statement that was made uh, with the baptism... The baptistry was recently destroyed. I don't know if, if any of the inmates destroyed it or what, but we've had hundreds of baptisms in that, in that baptistry at the jail. But um, once they get that done, then it's a matter of what the chaplain can do with the lieutenant to make it all work, and sometimes it takes a few months. So it's nothing like, hey, just whenever. <laughs> we try to get it done as quickly as we're able to do it. But uh, keep them in your prayers. So this morning, we're talking about this concept of being one in Christ. And, and as Mac, Max read for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was dealing with with the first century church at Corinth. That there was this body that needed to be unified. And this body is unified through all these imperfect people, right? So if we're talking about the, the looks of life, we can just look at ourselves we can see it as we open up and, and are vulnerable with our lives, just that we are broken people, as was mentioned. And the scriptures even prove that to be the case. That's why we're told that we all fall short of God's glory. And when we look at all the people that Jesus was healing, it shows this concept of brokenness. Even if not from a moral standpoint, we saw it from a physical standpoint because we live in this world. This world has sin and its consequences actually show that brokenness. And so people were so happy when Jesus was healing them. And that's what we're doing as we are studying in the Gospel of Mark, is seeing all that Jesus is doing. But here's the beauty. The beauty of the Lord's church is that there are followers through all these broken uh, people who are striving to reflect his image, right? And the image of Jesus is the express image of God. So that's what we're trying to do. And we're doing it through our imperfections. What I mean by that is, not only are we guilty of sin, but we've got flaws in our character, right? Everyone does. Everyone. And those flaws come out from time to time. You see it because no one is perfect. And as a result, then, what we see is a beautiful silver lining, right? Some would say, what silver lining is there if everyone has all these faults and flaws, that's the beauty of the Lord's church. The church that Jesus came 
to be head over the people who he has saved from their brokenness. He is showing them his way or the way, the truth and the life. And so what we're seeing is that these broken people who make up the body of Christ, that's us, right, are taking our imperfections and opportunities are given for us to practice being like Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. Not easy, though, but beautiful. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. We're talking about this concept of taking these individuals that come together in this one community called the kingdom of our God, called the church, right? The New Jerusalem, however you want to um, describe this body of believers, and practicing this concept called kingdom living. And so as we look at these things, note what's being said. And I think these two chapters, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, give us the crux of who we are and how we are to live within this dark world that we are in the midst of. So, as was read by Max, in 1 Corinthians 12, we are told, after he tells brethren who are on different sides of this concept of coming together as a church, 1 Corinthians 11, right? And you got issues where there's a head covering issue that they were talking about where we have chaos in the church and here's some order and what we should be doing. And then dealing with the Lord's Supper whereupon some are using it like, in fact, as was mentioned by Larry, a common meal, right? Just eat. And by the way, this probably be a good springboard for next week's sermon on generous living because there are people that for whatever reason, it's like, well, there may not be enough food. So they hoard this food and they eat it all. And in the meantime, there's brethren, probably those who are the working class, that come in late from work and now they have nothing. Right? And so that brings friction into the body of believers. And so the apostle deals with it from this unifying vantage point in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And what he says in these first few verses is that, you know, all within the body of Christ have been given gifts because God's spirit is so generous to give us all these gifts, right? And so we see we have the, the gift, at least in what was mentioned to the church at Corinth, the gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, the gift of faith, the gift of healings, the gift of miracles, the gift of prophecy or discerning spirits or tongues or interpreting tongues, right? The list could have gone on. All these gifts, and yet the spirit says, but we're one body. I want you to read that statement with me given here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 11, he says that one and same spirit, the one that gave gifts to all these individuals that make up this body, works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And here's the will. The will is that here is this body of believers and if we were to look at the body as just one individual, it would be lacking. It is a theme throughout all scripture. Think about it. Genesis chapter 1. Right? I like to give us some context from, from a biblical big picture view. Genesis chapter 1, God makes everything and everything is good. The very first time you hear it is not good is what? It is not good for man to be alone. I'm going to give him an azer is the Hebrew word. Do you know that that word azer is the same word that is used in Hebrew for a wife? I will make him a helpmeet, an azer. It is the same word later on in the book of Hebrews that from it, the Greek translated for the spirit. 
the helper, when the helper shall come. It's this concept that what is going to be supplied is supplied for what is lacking. And if you remember what Max was reading toward the very end of that scripture reading is the Spirit gives all these gifts to give what is lacking. So here's the body of Christ. It's more than just one individual, not just an eye, not just an ear, whatever. It's made up of a totality, a complete body, if you will, full of diversification. It is so that the body can be made complete and not lacking because it's not good when we lack. And so the Spirit has all these various gifts. All these gifts make the totality of what we call the Lord's church. Sometimes I think we look at our gifts from that physical vantage point, right? We miss sight of that big picture. But all of it is for the benefit so that we can be the wisdom of God to the principalities of darkness in the heavenly places. So that we can be the wisdom to a world that is full of darkness that needs the light of God. So that's what the purpose we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And when you read from verse 26 following, we get application to this purpose, if you will. So read with me. Notice what he says in verse 26. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. In the upside-down world called life, we get jealous when someone does well. They only did well because, and you fill in the blank for whatever the reason is, and we are upset that that person has done well, right? If I had done it, da-da-da-da. <laughs> if someone is suffering, well, someone else will care for them. You know, I'm not in that position. And we give all the reasons again. But here, it, we're talking about our body, right? Us. We're not talking about them. We're, we're talking about us. The us and the them are, if you want to use it this way, is the saved and not the saved. But what are we trying to do with the not saved? Make them part of us. The last thing we want to do with the them is make them feel like a them. We want them to want to come into this kingdom. But the kingdom's got to be attractive. If the kingdom itself is divided, it will not stand. We know that from Jesus' teachings. We know that from life itself. So this body needs to be unified, not only for the glory of God, but so that it can reach those who would come to believe in him. And so it behooves us to see that this body is one that we would care for and love as we, own, as we do our own, right? So that when one part of our body suffers, we all suffer with it. Unfortunately, we live in very disconnected lives, contrary to however connected we've become through modern technology. We're, in my estimation, opinion, we are more disconnected now than we have in our own country. Do you find that ironic? <laughs> that we, we, can, we can actually communicate with each other. I, right now on my phone, I can probably write all of you guys that if I have your contact information in seconds. And you guys can be texting me during the sermon. No, don't do that. <laughs> But you get the point. That's how fast our communication is. Beautiful opportunities. There's a variety of reasons, and it's beyond the scope of our discussion, but we are very disconnected, and the point of the body is to be completely connected. 
where every joint supplies. We'll see that toward the end of the sermon. So, so all members, no matter what the gift is, right? If it's a gift of tongues and prophecy, and tongues were the ones that were like really cool gifts, first century. If you had tongues, it was so manifest that everyone could know that person has got to have God with them. But there were other gifts that were more subtle. Lots of gifts that are even on this board, you know? They're more subtle than others. Maybe the gift of just being a Barnabas. The gift of encouragement, that is. Maybe it's the gift of someone who has a great big shoulder to lean on when things aren't going so well. You know, they don't get seen as, as easily as the ones with knowledge and the ones with prophecy and the ones with speaking in tongues or interpreting tongues and things of that nature. But they're every bit as important because they make up what is lacking in the body. And that's the beauty, again, of the church. And so the central focus of what we see in the book of Acts and in the New Testament letters with regard to the church specifically is that God is adding to the body what we are lacking, right? So look at verse 11, and then we'll focus in on on another part of the body. Verse 11 says to us, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Well, what is it that he wills? Okay, notice again, verse 25, um, 26 and 27. 25, that there should be no schism in the body, that the members should have the same care for each other, and if one suffers, all suffer with it. If one is honored, all rejoice with it. And so you are the body of Christ, members individually. And so that's the point of us, so that what is lacking is made complete. In fact, if I were to back up just a few verses, verse 20 following, notice what he says. There are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon them we give greater honor. Our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body. One more time. God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part that lacks it. For the purpose that there is no schism in the body. That's the theme from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through Scripture. So that this body can be so full, so complete, so healthy, it is good for every perfect work. And it can be generous in that perfect work that it does, just the way Jesus was. And speaking of just the way Jesus was, here's how imperfect people who make up the body of Christ, who are perfected through the blood of Jesus Christ, live like Jesus. While we cannot forgive sins and actually have sins taken away, only God can do that. We see that in Scripture. We can be like Jesus and be forgiving. Imagine that, a forgiving people, right? Think about it. Jesus is on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In like fashion, you see that in the life of Stephen. And when Stephen is being stoned to death, very similar storyline to Jesus, in fact. What does he say? Forgive them. That's the spirit of Stephen. 
Stephen didn't say, wait guys, stop stoning me for a second. Let me tell you guys, unless you ask me to forgive you, then I'll forgive you. He didn't stop their stoning for that. There's something to be said for the spirit. Jesus, even when dying on the cross and saying forgive them, was saying it to people who were spitting at him, people who had previously uh, tried stoning him, who had put a crown on him, who had whipped him, who had mocked him. And he said, forgive them, God. Forgive them, Father. There's a beautiful spirit in a person that has a forgiving spirit. Or maybe it's believing the best in others, right? So that when situations arise, instead of looking at the worst in an individual, think the very best of them. Imagine that. It's a godly way of looking at things. By the way, I'm actually paraphrasing out of the next chapter if you've not already picked up on it. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. This kingdom living in the midst of imperfect people who make up the body of Christ. Because we're one in Christ. So this is how we treat one another. We prefer one another. Even Ron was saying it in the Bible class, this concept where we prefer one another. Uh, you, were, you were mentioning Philippians chapter 2, even though you didn't quote it, right? Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. And so that's the concept that we're doing when we believe the best in each other. We think and we prefer one another. And this is all what we're living with these different baggages that we bring to this table. Right? So... As I struggle through idiomatic expressions of the English language, <laughs> as some of you have come to know over the years, you know, it's like, I, I know what Mitch meant, right? Brad's laughing like, I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> but generally speaking, my wife knows if you don't. <laughs> and so we, we live with different cultural backgrounds. Not everyone is from South, right? We got brethren from California. Different culture. <laughs> we have different upbringings. I mean, think about it. I, I can just tell you right now, mom, if you're listening. So, grandma would beat the tar out of my mom and my and my un- my uncle and my aunt. I mean, four foot nothing, my grandma. But everyone's definitely afraid of her. She just that that was the way she raised the girls and the boy and the boy. My aunt. My uncle, my mom. My mom turns around, never spanks us. Me and my sisters. Now, we sent each other to the hospital on many occasions. I don't remember getting one spanking. And the only time I remember the very first spanking, and I might have had some when I was younger that I don't remember. But I remember specifically about 9 or 10 years old, and my mom was ready to spank it. First time ever. Fortunate, just side story. Fortunately, phone call rings or the phone rings right as she's fixing to spank me and my older sister Leslie and unbeknownst to my mom as she's making the phone call we pad our bottoms with underwear (laughs) she comes back spanks us it's all good mom we needed it you know that kind of thing but so different so you have different upbringing so I was raised where there's no spanking well ask my older children who got the spankings and who gets less spankings our older children, all the spankings, our younger children, according to our older children, get away with everything, right? Different, you bring these cultural baggage, you bring the, the life 
that you live all to the table and it's different than someone else. And then we come to a Bible study and we're studying about discipline and some are like, yes, corporal punishment. We need more of that. And others are like, we need to be compassionate and, and, and someone in between. That happens because we've got all these differences. But these differences are the very things that challenge us and give us opportunity to practice being like Jesus. That's what they do. And it's a wonderful thing. It allows for us to go through moments where we can count it all joy to fall into various trials. And those various trials do not limit ourselves to persecution from outside forces. Right? James chapter 1, verse 2, when he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that it produces within you this maturing process. But that maturing process is not limited to just non-Christians persecuting Christians. It also includes moments within the body of Christ where there are growing pains moments. It's beautiful. It can be. It can get ugly, but it can become a beautiful thing on the backside. Because that's the purpose of the body. And we cannot simply have it where I only want someone that looks like me, talks like me. I've said this many, many times, right? Because then there's no growing. Because everything is always easy, always good. But it's the moments when it's difficult that you get to be bonded closer to each other. You get to know where your colors are, what your true colors are. You get to know, do I look like Jesus? Do I walk like him? Or do my colors look more like the world? Because if that's the case, there's going to be friction, right? And if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, there must be factions among you so that those who are approved may stand. That's the reason. You get to see your true colors within the body of Christ. And then hopefully because we are humbled enough, we get to correct what is lacking within us individually and within us collectively as the body of believers. So, think about the fact that when we are striving to reach the gospel to this world, and this world is full of darkness, it's got all this brokenness, and that brokenness comes into the body of Christ, it affects us. And while they bring in gifts, they bring in luggage as well. And the they become us. And we strive to work together through these differences, through the pains called life so that we get to be bound closer together. I'm telling you right now, every experience that I've had in life that has been monumental, monumental, that you've caught on the other side and you still stuck it out together, made you stronger, made you closer together every single time. I learned that lesson the first time even before I was a Christian. I remember, and this was a very insignificant thing as far as the morality of life, but it gives you a concept. It was the first time in my, my mind I realized how powerful these kind of moments are. I was about 17 years old. My girlfriend and I were at Kapalua Golf Course because I remember, I, some of you guys know, wrestling team, we were serving as volunteers for the PGA tournament. And so after that was done, we're backing out in her car and someone rear ends her car. She was shooken up, I mean, to the core, crying. Number one, shaking up because we could have been seriously injured. But number two, 
her car is broken and damaged and she's a high school student that doesn't have money and now mom and dad has to have money for insurance and all, all these things flooding through her minds. And I remember it being such a huge deal for a 17-year-old to deal with and it made our relationship stronger and closer. And I thought that was a very powerful moment and I, I was living through this moment on the backside in the next week or two I'm thinking, it's amazing. It was like a life lesson that I'd learned. And then I saw it again in other moments of my personal life. And then I was beginning to see it after I became a Christian of when moments of the church are struggling through whatever it was. And many times what I've heard of and some of what I've seen is that brethren separate and they go their other ways. But the moments where they did not separate, they got closer and stronger through it. It took some while to heal, but it's beautiful. And that's the thing about the Lord's church that we get to have this opportunity of counting it all joy when we fall into these trials because it helps us to grow, to mature. And that concept of maturing is to be complete. In fact, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, this will be the last passage we'll look at. That's exactly the concept of what Paul is trying to say. And I want you to read it with me. Beautiful, beautiful passage. I'm going to read the, the backside first because it gives the concepts of God's generosity, again, for next sermon, for next Sunday. But it also goes forward into how we ought to take that generous offering given to us, and we become generous in the way we live with each other. So, that said, in chapter 4 of, of Ephesians, let me see if I can actually get to that chapter. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, and I want to begin in verse 7. But to each one of us, here's the generosity of our God. Each one of us was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So here is this big battle that takes place. And after the battle, victory is won and to the victor go the spoils. And that's basically what's happened here. Now, this he ascended. What does it mean? But that he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. What did he do? He goes and humbles himself to the point of death, and by virtue of giving up his life, freely, generously giving up his life, through it he conquers the enemy. And because he conquers the enemy, he gets the spoils of victory. And as a result, it says in verse 11, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's beautiful. To what end? Till we all come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. But what happens in the meantime? Well, in the meantime, we have a contrast because we've got this world in us. And we're trying to put that worldly man to death, trying to sacrifice him, put him away so that the new man can rise and walk in newness of life. That's what we're going to see here. And thus he says that we should no longer be children Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Think the serpent in Genesis 3. And think every other illustration since then. 
the cunning craftiness where we get deceived and as a result we get tossed to and fro and we start blaming each other right she gave me and i ate well he was the one that started it right that's what's happening cunning craftiness and that's what satan does he loves finding the weakness in our armor or that which where we lack and exposes it that's like children we're not able to handle these moments but through Christ and what he has given to us within the body that we become filled and complete, here's where we can move from being children to something much better. So moving on, for, he says in verse 15, speaking the truth in love in contrast to that child, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What's true of an individual congregation is nothing more than a microcosm of the body of Christ. That everyone, whether we have 10 talents or one talent, whether we've been given a gift that looks and, and, and has all the shininess to it, all the glamour to it, or the one that have, has gifts that you're back in the shadows. Every single person is utterly important to the complete and wholeness of the body of Christ. Every single one. The question that you ask yourself now is what kind of member are you in the body of Christ? Are you the member that is like what Satan does to children, where you get tossed to and fro and use it as a means to fight and bite and devour? Or are you the one that says, how can we grow from this? It's a beautiful testimony to what the ideal of the body of Jesus Christ can be. And that's your opportunity. It's a silver lining. And I hope you take it. I hope you grasp it hard. And I hope you run with it. And use all the talents that God has blessed you to make this body a very effective body so that it can grow in love. It can be this beautiful, mature, complete, whole unity, right? Community, a body, however you want to say it. We're using the body analogy in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12. That's so that you can do this very thing of making the body of Jesus Christ this mature unit. And that's your challenge. Are you up to it? I hope so. I hope you are. I am. That's how we go forward. That's how we move to be stronger, taller, if you will, um, in a spiritual way in Christ. And so I hope that lesson helps you. So here's what happens at the very end then when we, when we make this application. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, naturally, if if any of you who are mature, right, you're complete, you're whole, you're practicing not being deceived by, by the serpent, but you are mature in Christ. Restore such a one, right, in their sins, in their trespasses. That's verse 1. Verse 2, and what? And sharing one another's burdens. And you so fulfill the law of Christ. That's the concept of completeness in this fulfilling the law of Christ. So imagine one person with a burden, an unimaginable burden. And imagine he has to live or she has to live with that burden. Seemingly impossible. 
Now imagine if someone steps in and says, I'll be there for you. Imagine the gratitude. Imagine the beauty of someone stepping in. Beautiful thing. But it's still a great burden for even one person to share with another. The burden is greatly lessened, but much better. But not ideal. Imagine an entire body of believers sharing the burden of one unimaginable burden. So I'll use a very easy illustration. Imagine that person is the one, as I'd mentioned, I think at the beginning of the sermon or in the Bible study, I don't remember now, but someone who is saying, you have a few weeks to live. And this person, for whatever the reason of life is, they are heartbroken for all the variable of reasons. And you come along and you put your arm around them. You pray with them. You comfort them with your words or you comfort them by your mere presence. And that shares that burden. But now imagine everyone else coming to that individual and sharing that burden. Now, mind you, I'm using a very generic illustration because some people are saying, ah, that's all too much. <laughs> Just take the analogy. That person is overwhelmed with joy and thanksgiving that that burden now still is there. That hasn't changed, but it's now born and shared with everyone else. That's the picture of the body of Christ. Brethren, when we all strive to be that picture that we just read in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12, talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, that make up the body of Jesus Christ today. Now, you may be here, and you're not part of this body. That's what should make the good news such good news. It really should. It should make the church attractive. And some would say, yeah, but you know, in your church, I see some of you guys. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites. That's why we needed salvation. And that's why we're learning to become less hypocritical and more like Christ. And by the way, you're the same person. You don't have it all together either. That's why you need salvation. And the invitation is to you. Do you want in on this body? Is this a body that looks attractive? Or is it the kind of body where we always fight with each other? That's not attractive. But the body of Christ is a healing body, the healing of the nations. And if you want in, Jesus wants you to give up your will for his, the way he gave up his will for the fathers. And when you can follow him in like fashion, you become transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a beautiful transformation process. And brethren, if you need prayers, as was discussed by elders, by all means, come share it with the elders, share it with myself. We'll pray for you. We pray on your behalf. But use this invitation as together we stand and sing.